it would be better if we could like each have a mic and just be ready. Yeah, play. yeah. But we're learning as we go. This is the beginning of the future. So welcome to the Open Something Notes <laughs> podcast with the Fort Collins Symphony. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm the Digital Communications Director here at the Symphony, and I'm joined by Kate. Well, good morning, Kate. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> I am the Community Engagement and Education Director, also known as the SEED, the here seed. at the Fort Collins Symphony. Seed. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about what a symphony is. We're going to be talking about a symphony as the musical form, so like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Um, symphonies also used as like a symphony orchestra, or like I'm going to go to the symphony, but we're talking about the symphony that you go and listen to. Again, like Beethoven's music Fifth. Symphony. The music symphony. Yeah. The musical form of the symphony. Um, so by musical form, I mean it's kind of like when you see X symphony on uh, on an orchestra program, you kind of, if you know what a symphony is, then you can have a pretty good introduction to what to expect. So it's going to be a large-scale piece to be played by a symphony orchestra. Um, symphonies are usually some of the most significant works that, that composers have, and um, most Concerts will have a symphony or something similar to a symphony. So symphonies are really some of the largest pieces that that uh, you might find on an orchestra concert, and some of the largest things that a lot of composers wrote. Well, and a lot of times when you're looking to maybe go to a symphony, as in the ensemble, and 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 go and sit in the audience, a lot of times you'll see on any of the marketing materials the symphony as the highlight of what an orchestra will be playing that evening. And so sometimes, you know, people tend to choose which concert they go to based off of which symphony, as in music, uh, they want to listen to. I know we... Try, we're we're going to try in this podcast to make this as simplified as possible, but it's we understand user, user it's... User-friendly. Yeah, we want to make symphonies user-friendly in every every sense of the way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and most concerts will have that symphony as the headline. Like, oh, we're going to... They're playing Rachmaninoff's second symphony. So today we're going to be talking about, like, what that means. Like, where does right. that come from? So... A symphony is again. It's 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 a standardized form for large orchestra, usually pretty long. And we'll talk about the later the symphony was written, probably the longer and the bigger it is. Some really famous examples of symphonies that you probably know are, like I said, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's very very recognizable opening. <laughs> You might also recognize Mozart's 40th Symphony. That's one used for a lot of ringtones. Yes. And then, of course, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the famous Ode to Joy from the last movement of that. So 
those are some symphonies that you have probably heard, and those are the most famous, but there are a lot more, and we'll talk about some of those later. So let's talk about the history of the symphony as a form. Um, symphony really just comes from a Greek word, and it means agreement of sound or sounding together, and it's meant a lot of different things over time. Again, we have two meanings for that right now, whether it's music sounding together or a bunch of musicians sounding together. Um, and really, the symphony started as a smaller piece and just kind of grew. And then in the classical era with composers like Mozart and Haydn, this was about 1700 to 1750, um, the symphony as we know it today developed. And it's, it's really a, f usually it's a four movement work. And a movement is kind of like a song and an album. It's, it has a beginning and an ending, and then there's a pause, and then you go to the second movement. And so it's usually a four-movement work for a large orchestra with strings and winds and brass and everybody. And again, it started in that classical era with Mozart and Haydn. And then um, it's been a really standard form since then, since about 1700-something, 17, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, composers like Beethoven just started expanding its... Um, like Beethoven's Third Symphony is really important. The Fifth Symphony that we played earlier is really important. And then the Ninth Symphony. Um, and then after Beethoven, more composers kept writing symphonies and they kept getting bigger and bigger and longer and longer. And They just all basically kept one-upping each other. Yeah, that's Who can exactly be bigger it. and better and bolder and... Boulder is a, is a good way to describe it. Yeah, they were getting bigger, but they were also experimenting with new musical things. Yeah, it was super experimental during all of those later periods. And and then you get to the early 20th century with with Mahler and he was he was just just thrown it away. Like, bigger was better, bigger. throwing the textbook <laughs> out the window and just writing as much music as possible. Yeah, so if you look at the year a symphony was written, you can tell a lot about it because the later it is, probably the bigger and the wackier it is. Like a, a symphony by Mozart sounds very different than a symphony by Shostakovich. Yeah, a lot of people tend to describe symphonies, I feel like, and compare it to food. So I would say a lot of people tend to talk about Mozart as like your dessert, right? It's kind of light, it's sweet, it's easy. You know, it's just that nice little treat that a lot of people, you know, feel like they get when they leave a symphony concert. And then you talk about like the Mahlers and Rachmaninoffs and maybe Beethoven, you know, these big, big composers that we think of and we're really talking about like your meat and potatoes. You know, it really gets dense, it's thick, it's heavy. Um, and I feel like the food comparison tends to be a, a, a nice one, actually, mm -hmm. because I think it helps contextualize what you what your ears might be feeling at the end of it. You know, I mean, I think when you're leaving a concert that you just, you know, took down a bunch of Mahler, you're going to leave there feeling a little bit bloated and just yeah. like, wow, what did I just what did I just listen to? And then when you hear Mozart, you know, it's this like dainty, lovely, harmonic uh, music, you know, that you can just kind of dance away with at the end of the night. And just like a meal, the entree is probably the biggest part of that meal. Exactly. Just like the symphony is probably the biggest part of the concert. Correct. It's the longest, usually, um, and it's the it's 
usually, you know, some people's favorite part mm-hmm. of, of going to see an orchestra. Usually like the second half of a concert. Yes. We'll yeah. have a couple pieces on the first half in intermission and then very often the entire second half will be the, sim- the, the symphony for right. that concert. And they can range in size like a Mozart or a Haydn symphony can be like maybe 15, 20 minutes. Right. Whereas on the opposite, Mahler can have like a two hour long symphony. Right. So, so there's a huge range when you see symphony on a program and it can mean a lot of things depending on the composer and when they wrote it. I think that's a por- an important part of even deciding if if you're considering going to the symphony for the first maybe even second third time in your life you know even just googling quickly what that symphony is so you know if that might be something that you're interested in um you know i think a lot of sometimes nowadays it's hard it's hard to sit through you know a 50 minute symphony and so you might want to go for something that's a little bit shorter at first um or just knowing, we talk a lot about the time period, you know, the years in which these works were composed. Um, you know, maybe you do want to lean towards something earlier on in the 1700s, like Mozart and Haydn, that you're going to maybe just be able to sit back and hear something that sounds pretty. And that's okay. I mean, but or you're on the other side of it. You know, you mm-hmm. want to sit there and have to dive in and just totally get away from your thoughts and just you know, completely listen to what sometimes might feel like a little bit of chaos on stage. Sometimes you need that, but... Yeah, the um, the expressive range is going to be very different. Like in a Mahler yes. symphony, you'll like go from depression to triumph to enlightenment yes. to inspiration. And the same thing with Beethoven, mm-hmm. even. And then with, with Mozart or some other, or like even Mendelssohn's symphony, you... You'll feel things, but it won't be as big of a range. So that's a really good. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, it's kind of it's it's similar to a lot of things we do in life. You know, a little bit of research going into anything is always feels a little bit better once you're there. You know, to experience it. Yeah. Do you want to go on a roller coaster, or do you want to go stick with the teacups? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's okay. Both are great. <laughs> yeah, both are great. They both have a different time and place yeah. in our lives, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Little listening beforehand is good. Yeah, absolutely. Always listen. Always listen to the music beforehand. You'll you'll have a much better time at the concert. I think. Yeah. Listening to the yeah. music. Great. So we mentioned earlier that symphonies are in four movements, and those are pretty standardized. We'll do this quick because this is kind of the boring part. But the the first movement is um, is in a form we call sonata form, and we can talk about that in another episode. Then the second movement's usually slow. The third movement's a dance or a little faster, and the fourth movement's usually a big finale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually uh, usually the first and the last movement are the most significant. And um, Some of your more famous symphonies, most of those excerpts that you know and come to love or hear in commercials are usually going to come from your first or last movement. Yeah, the, like the examples we played earlier, the Beethoven and the Mozart, are the first and the last movements. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So some fun history with symphonies. Um, the uh, you might have heard of the Curse of the Ninth Symphony, um, which is a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Superstition. <laughs> it's a superstition. Um, you know, Beethoven was this huge figure in music history, um, and Beethoven wrote nine symphonies. And he was he started the tenth, or or did he never? 
did he die while he started? Maybe we have sketches of it. Yeah. But, but Beethoven wrote nine symphonies, and his ninth symphony has the Ode to Joy. He added choir to it. He yes. Just, he just blew the lid off what a symphony was. Yes. Especially uh, for that time period. Yes. Yeah. Very ahead of his time. Very, yeah. Um, and then another famous composer really shortly after Beethoven was Schubert, who also wrote nine symphonies. Mm-hmm. And so... Then a while later, uh, Mahler, who we've mentioned a couple times, another one of the really big symphony composers, he saw that Beethoven and Schubert had written nine symphonies and then died. And he finished his eighth symphony, and he was like, well, I want to keep writing, but I'm afraid that I might die (laughs) after I write my ninth symphony. So instead, he wrote like a fake symphony, and he called it, um, he called it Das Lied von der Erde, which means the Song of the Earth. And so he wrote a symphony in his way, but he didn't call it a symphony. Right. And he didn't die afterwards. No. Which was great. But then eventually he did write a Ninth Symphony and then he died afterwards. So there's this kind of joke superstition that um, composers can only write nine symphonies and then that's the end. And of course, many composers have written more than nine symphonies. Of course, yeah. Mozart wrote 41. Shostakovich wrote 15, I think? 15, 16, 17, something like that. He wrote in the teens. Um, But so that's a little fun other thing. Uh, Speaking about Beethoven and um, the impact he made... Uh, Beethoven also like cast a shadow over symphonies for a while. So another really famous symphonist is Johannes Brahms, and he was maybe 50, mm-hmm. 50 years later, I think. Yeah. Um, and Brahms was a really great composer, and a lot of people said that he was the next Beethoven, and that really scared the bejesus out of him. He didn't yeah. like that at all. No. He didn't want that pressure. <laughs> so Brahms kept trying to write a symphony and then giving up and then trying to write a symphony and then giving up because the pressure was so, so much. So he spent like 20 something years trying to write his first symphony and just, he finally got it out and it was just a hit. Like people said, oh, this is Beethoven's 10th symphony that Brahms just wrote. He did so well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Beethoven had a really big, really big impact on the future of the symphony. And I always think that's, that's, um, so funny that Brahms felt so much pressure that it took him 20 years to write his first symphony. And then he just wrote three more masterpieces. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he consistently wrote fantastic symphonies following his first, but I think, I mean, I definitely think it's safe to say that Beethoven has his own place in the history of symphonic music. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think he's certainly one of those composers that we've thrown out a lot, but you know, I would say he's probably one of the most famous composers of of all time. Yeah. I mean, people really know his music and, and what he did. So, um, yeah, I mean, anyone following that, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think, would be yeah. a little concerned for their career. <laughs> and even we've talked about how the symphony changed over time. I mean, if Beethoven's first symphony is um, one of my favorites. It's pretty short. Yeah. It's very Mozarty. Mm-hmm. It's very early. Yeah. And then by the time you get to his Ninth Symphony, right? Um, however many years later, I think only you know only maybe twenty something years yeah. later, he um, you know now you've got this big giant thing for huge orchestra and choir, and, and choir, it's like yeah. almost an hour long, right? Versus like the twenty-five minute first yeah. symphony. So you even see that range just in Beethoven symphonies. So 
you know, if you go get a box set of Beethoven symphonies, I was going to say, right, yeah, you'll find it on Spotify. Yeah. There are lots of people who have recorded all nine, all nine, and yeah. just how different the first one is from the last one. I always think the last, I mean, the opening of the Ninth Symphony is kind of like Mahler's first symphony, mm-hmm. where you have this like beginning of time itself mm-hmm. happening. It's really, really, really cool um, to see to see that change. So. Let's talk about some of our favorite symphonies, and then we'll be done. Um, maybe this you want to so go hard. back. This is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Because if you think of how many symphonies there are, and yeah. how many we do all the time, uh, that's the thing. People, I mean, in a given season for any orchestra across the country, I mean, how many symphonies they play in one season, let alone in a five-year yeah. time period. And I mean, how many of them are by Beethoven? Right. <laughs> or Mahler. Or <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like one of, my, one of my favorites, we haven't talked about him yet, is Mendelssohn. I would say his fourth symphony, uh, also known as the Italian Symphony. I think that Mendelssohn did a great job. It's more of an intro into your symphony. You know, the sounds, the, you know, you, you kind of hear each of the instruments throughout. It's fun, it's light. Um, and I would say that, yeah, Mendelssohn's fourth is, and we actually just performed this at our last concert, um, but it really is a great piece that kind of showcases the better parts of the orchestra. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, the first movement is really exciting. Yeah. It's really easy and mm-hmm. fun to listen to. And then the second movement, you get some of that lyrical, gorgeous, beautiful music. The third movement is really pretty and dancey. Yep. And then the fourth movement is really exciting. Really exciting. It, fo- it really follows. It's a good example of what symphony form is, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, that's a great point. So... Um, one of my favorites is kind of the opposite. It's a little... It's a little bit more of an advanced symphony, but that's the second symphony by um, by Sibelius. And that's it's much broader. It's yeah. It's a little it's a little bit more more advanced. He does some really weird stuff in there, um, but the arc. And the journey that you go on in the in that hour is one of my favorite musical journeys. And one one benefit of having a longer symphony is you have more time to like sit with an idea and gestate and build. So there's this incredible build and climax in the fourth movement that just I can't get enough of. It's like one of my favorite pieces of music. I think everyone, I think a lot of times, like you said, I mean, you're listening to the symphony, it's really long, you know, typically sim- when you yeah, go in there, sometimes you know, it's boring. but yeah, totally. Sometimes I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone's had that moment. Yeah. Had a long day. It's a Friday night. You're listening to symphony, you fall asleep. But no, I think, I think that's a good point though, having the journey and that it's nice that I think 
being able to approach a symphony from a standpoint of, like you had mentioned earlier, these are kind of like songs on an album, you know, you're only listening to maybe 10, 15 minutes at a time and thinking about the, you know, even if you can't pick up on different sounds or notes or themes, you know, that we might call it throughout the whole thing, I think trying to break it down and think about where you started and maybe how you feel at the beginning and how you feel at the end and mm-hmm. kind of where that that music takes you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's I think that's similar to most concerts that we attend, you know, even if it's, um, I don't know, Billie Eilish or, you know, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, they're taking you on a journey. Right. You know, and that's, I think, the same thing that symphony music does um, and especially a symphony in particular, you know, the form of a symphony. It's all about um, that feeling that you get from the music, that reaction that you get from what you're listening to. And I think that's an important part of it's just another genre, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of music. And it can, it's probably one of the most um, difficult to listen to for so many reasons, which maybe we'll talk about in another podcast. <laughs> um, you know, but I think it's this, it's still, I would say that we want the same effect. We want you to feel something throughout, you know? Yeah. And it's one, just one tip for going to concerts is like we said earlier, to listen to the music before you go. Mm-hmm. Cause if that's, if you go to a concert and that's the first time you're hearing a piece of music, especially yeah. an hour-long symphony, mm-hmm. like you're gonna get bored because mm-hmm. it's too much new it's stuff. Too much new. But yeah. if but if you go and you really know that music and you've listened to it a hundred times mm-hmm. and it's just part of your the fabric of your body, mm-hmm. then when you go listen to it live with a new orchestra playing it, I mean that's that's like one of the most fulfilling. Yeah, things in my life is going yeah. to see this music live that I know so well, mm-hmm. and even if I don't notice anything different, like it's like, I mean, it's kind of like watching a movie you've seen before. Like you'll notice a couple new things, but you know how it's going. Yeah, and that that helps you know what's happening at any point, and you can and you, stay engaged with it. Yeah, throughout. and you know, like, oh, this moment is interesting to me, but I also know where it fits mm-hmm. in this hour. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go in to hear a piece for the very first time, you don't know everything in context. Yeah. And um, so that's that's probably my biggest tip for people new to classical music, or even people who've been listening for a long time, yeah. is if there's going to be a piece you don't know, like go listen to it. Listen mm-hmm. to it a couple times. At least at least hear how it how it sounds. And maybe like, not in one setting, but even on your 15-minute car ride to yeah. your grocery store or see a friend or whatever. Yeah, you don't have to listen Just, to the whole 40-minute yeah. <laughs> symphony from the beginning. Yeah. So, we always like to uh, hear feedback and comments and yeah. and thoughts on your what your favorite symphony is or questions that you might have. So, what's a good way to contact us if you have more of those questions? Yeah, you can reach out to the Fort Collins Symphony on social media, either Facebook or Instagram, at Fort Collins Symphony. Yeah. We also have a contact page on our website, fcsymphony.org. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a contact page there you can send us. Um, but at least go to either our website or social media. Yeah, the website or social media is a really good, yeah. really good way. We like yeah. to hear from everyone, so... 
let us know what is your favorite symphony or yeah. what do you like about symphony as in the form? <laughs> we all like the symphony as in the orchestra. Yes. 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 So thanks so much for listening to the Fort Collins Symphony podcast with a title that open notes, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs>